Hello, and welcome back to the 10th episode of the Punk Rock Academy podcast with me, Dave. And me, John. And Dave, they said it couldn't be done. They said we'd never get to double figures, but here we are, episode 10. Uh, it's a special one. If anyone, uh, well, if anyone's listened to any of the episodes, thank you, first of all. If anyone's listened to the very first episode, the sort of secret episode that Dave and I did together, you'd have heard my wonderful co-host talking about his favourite ever band, um and dave is giggling like a little kid in the sweet shop I am. because who have we got on today we've got the mighty dr dan yemin of lifetime and kid dynamite i'm freaking stoked <laughs> it's great um yeah we chat to dan from kid dynamite and lifetime um i love this chat because we probably spend less time talking about his bands than any other podcast um which is good because it's uh um, there's more interesting stuff to talk about than just bands sometimes, isn't there? Um, but Dave, one thing Dan did talk about was his regret at not seeing Minor Threat. I think he was just a bit a bit late, but he got me thinking. I mean, we, we've all been a bit late in terms of um, being born too late to see bands, but what are the bands that you nearly had the chance to see that you didn't and now regret? Well, this time around, I was effing prick. Um, basically, I had tickets for Glastonbury, which I went to, of course, and I made a conscious effort to go see... Uh, Jimmy Cliff, the mighty, mighty Jimmy Cliff. Now, on the day of, you no, know, Jimmy Cliff was playing. I proceeded, you know, getting ready for to go see him. I had a few beers, a few beers turned into a few more beers. I ended up in a dance tent for the whole day and totally missed Jimmy Cliff. And obviously, I was really gutted because obviously he's getting on in years and, you know, you want to see these legends before they, they move on to the other side. But I hope I haven't missed my final chance, but who knows? How about you, John? Oh man, I've, I've missed my final chance with this one, but um, uh, I I was just being cheap, basically. I was young, I was maybe late teens or a student or something, uh, and Joe Strummer and the Mescalaris were playing at Brixton, uh, and I just think I didn't want to pay 20 quid or something to go see him. Figured he was, you know, in his 50s, he'll probably play again at some point, um, and just didn't go see one of my favourite ever musicians and the legend that is Joe Strummer, um, who we talk uh, a bit about in in terms of the clash with Dan um, in this episode. Enjoy uh, the listen. If you do get a chance to go see any bands, uh, and particularly any legendary bands, take that opportunity. Don't do a Dave, don't do a John. Um, grab grab it by both hands um, and enjoy the chat with Dan. Hello, Dan. How you doing? What's up? Hey, Dan. How you doing, mate? Nice to see you. Great. Nice to see you guys. Sorry, I'm gonna um, rename. My daughter uses this for cello lessons. So, so how you been keeping anyway? In general, how, how are things for you? Uh, things are good. I mean, COVID was a fucking nightmare for everybody, but the word "unprecedented" has been overused. And um, but you know, it's been a, a major disruption for every part of of life. It's just starting to look like it's moving back towards some semblance of normal. Everyone that we know of in our professional and, and personal circles are vaccinated and, you know, the weather's good so we can hang out with people outside and, you know, we still have to think about the kids because our kids are both too young for vaccines at this point, but, you know, it was crazy. Uh, we're really lucky because my wife and I were both working through the whole thing, uh, but the, the, the landscape and the nature of the work changed really dramatically. Um, and then music, and I mean, everything was canceled. 
even though I'm in a bunch of bands, we don't play very often anyway, but there were a bunch of Lifetime shows that got canceled. Something really exciting we've been working on with old friends. Um, we were supposed to play three shows on the East Coast and three shows on the West Coast of the U.S. with uh, Lifetime in 108, and we had to cancel that. And then uh, we had dates held for the end of this year, but we had to let them go because uh, one of our, the members of our band lives in, in California, and he's, you know, without any sort of guarantee of what the landscape was going to look like safety-wise, he wasn't willing to commit to getting on a plane and even in November, just because our country is full of crazy people that aren't getting vaccinated. And we're in a bubble of like progressive politics where we live in the northeastern part of the country. And he as well in the Bay Area of California, but I'll, you know, you don't know what you're getting into or who you're getting into it with on the plane and in the airport. And so it's just, that's still a little, still a little scary. So we had to cancel even stuff held for the end of this year. Look at 2022. So, so how have you been like, you know, using your creativity? I, was, I know you're creative, you write loads of songs, you, you know, you said you're involved in lots of bands. How have you been able to like, manage your creativity? The problem is that I have ideas in my head, but it mostly sort of, I found working through a screen so exhausting that there were like weeks where I didn't pick up a guitar. And so that definitely slowed things down. Although something happened with, you know, one of my bands that has been talking about writing something new for years, we haven't been all on the same page, I guess. And uh, sometime in the last, I think just this year, um, Lifetime started moving more decisively towards um, working on new stuff. You know, we're sending demos around on the computer, uh, on the computer. So such is the modern way. Yeah, it's tedious, but at least everybody's excited about it. Well, I'm excited about hearing that. I really am. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned you've got two kids. You're obviously working. I guess it's hard. You know, even even pre-pandemic. Um, you know, D Dave and I both got young ones. It's not easy to kind of switch that creativity on when you're knackered from you know parenting and and working everything at the best of times. So yeah, we should give ourselves less of a hard time about it. I think. Um, but your daughter is creative. She she's you said she's doing cello lessons. So that is is this. Is this, um, is this a failure of punk rock dadhood or is this? Uh, she had an opportunity to do the school they uh, go to, had a, a strings teacher that they, they have like, there's like an after school program there. So for, you know, for people that work, uh, your kids can stay at the school and do various activities until like six o'clock. So there was a, a strings teacher who, who um, is a cellist and also plays violin who, would just come, she came to the school and their after school program three days a week and would offer cello lessons. And then um, my daughter started and then this woman left for a, a full-time job elsewhere. And we continue to work with her like privately. And it's just something my daughter's really into. It was one of the two instruments offered <laughs> at the time. And we thought it would be good to have somebody besides me teaching them music because I'm I don't have the temperament of a teacher. I don't have the infinite patience required. But you work, you, you work with like young people, don't you? I do, but it's different when it's your kids. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm very patient with my patients, but you know, I think I kind of spend it all there. Could, could you could you teach your music without without any disrespect to you, Dan? Um, is uh, is your musical ability up to the standard of teaching? I mean, probably not. <laughs> And it's the other thing I don't want to do, like a lot of like, I don't want to throw shade at anybody, but a lot, I think of a lot of like hip 
whatever, like hip hipster, punk, post-punk, grown-up punk parents, like they kind of force this thing onto their kids. I think largely because it like looks cool on their Instagram to like dress their kid up in like Ben Sherman's and like black flag shirts and stuff. And like, I, you know, I always felt like that's going to be like, what happens when your kids hit their teens and they got to rebel? Like, I'm not going to have them rebel against punk rock. Like that's what, where would they go from there? Like, I don't want to Barry Manilow. If they're going to come to that, they have to just come to it. You know, I, I'm hoping there's a day when they'll just get curious and start uh, looking through our record collection and, and just like diving into that. Because there's just a wealth of stuff up there on the third floor, just like a few thousand records. And I think someday they'll, they'll probably start digging into that. So Dan, so obviously at, at your daughter's age, what were you like, um, what music were you listening to? Like, and what were you rebelling against, which your parents kind of played in the background? Um, my parents listened only to classical. So coming up, like before I could buy my own records, they just, they had a few, they had classical music on the radio 24 seven. And then they had this little collection of maybe like 20 or 30 albums, most of which were um, soundtracks for Broadway musicals. And so the two records I found and connected with, which is really funny because it kind of circled around later in life, but the West Side Story soundtrack and the Hair soundtrack. I actually owned the West Side Story soundtrack on vinyl. Yeah, me too. I still have it. I still have the, the copies that my parents had. And so those were the records that I connected with, like before I found radio, before I bought my own records um the west side story soundtrack and the hair soundtrack i guess was the first kind of rock and roll thing uh that i had access to the, the funny thing about it is the west side story soundtrack circled back and became really important because we referenced it on like lifetime records a bunch and so that was that's weird that that was you know when you guys told me to think about this stuff or asked me to think about this stuff it was the first time i thought really about my path starting with the West Side Story record. And then I was like, oh, geez, like the Jim is neutral territory is from, from, from Hello Bastards. It's from, that's a, a quote from West Side Story. And it's my favorite Lifetime track, I think. But um, weirdly, yeah, do you know what? My mum had West Side Story on, on tape, on VHS video. It's a really good soundtrack, actually, isn't it? I, I mean, it's fantastic. I I still listen to it. And it's got a lot of like different influences. I mean, it's got like, some like Latino sort of mm -hmm. stuff going on. It's, it was definitely the one that kind of, I mean, of all the crap that my parents sort of pushed on me, there was, there was some good stuff and a lot of crap. Um, that one kind of stuck with me weirdly as well, without realising it. And then obviously Schlepp Rock did the, uh, the pub mm -hmm. side story stuff years later, which probably didn't do the justice to the... No, but it was cool that they gave it a shot. And then the other weird thing about that is that so what's that story is like a, a, you know, kind of a, one of the classic retellings of the Romeo and Juliet tragedy, as is The Outsiders, really which is a, a, one of the first books that was considered like the young adult genre of, of literature. And I certainly read it when I was a kid. And then it references West Side Story pretty heavily. And then, you know, Lifetime ended up pulling from that, too, the samples, um, at the end of the record, uh, right before Ostracized, I think. Yeah. Uh, and the chorus of Ostracized is a quote from that as well. I think it's a mangled quote. I don't think it quotes it exactly, but what's that story? <laughs> Weirdly circled back to become a, a very important piece of 
my musical history. I don't think either of us expected the conversation to be quite so heavily Shakespearean, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm loving it. And also, though, you know, those ideas on the Lifetime record were not my ideas. They were Ari's. So he was familiar with it too, which is really cool. Have you gone back into class of classical music now? We kind of stayed away from that since your parents... Um... Yeah, I was never particularly interested in it. What, what was playing, like, what was on the radio at the time? Like, was, was there stuff that you were, you, you knew there was another world out there. You knew there was a, a sort of something that you could work towards. What was, what was sort of playing at that point? I think um, pop radio, I, I, you know, when it crossed my path, I don't think it made an impression on me. But, um, but the thing is, like, pop, so there's pop, like, 70s pop, but there was also, like, rock and roll in the 70s was, was also top 40 music. And so I think the group I became aware of hearing it on the radio was Aerosmith, actually. Um, and I thought Aerosmith was pretty cool for a little while. Not anymore. Uh, uh, they got some tracks, but it sounds like anything I listen to. And then the first record I bought with my own money was the first Kiss album. I just, uh, I was drawn to the mystery of it. We were chatting with someone the other day who mentioned kiss as being a massive influence it's quite funny we should start doing a bit of a tally chart because we've got a few kisses and a few iron maidens already in the running but um he was talking about the kind of the the, the marketing that went around the kiss army and everything the look the feel the style of it before he even put a needle on that record it was all it was quite exciting yeah it was the mis- not knowing who they were just like there was a secret narrative there that made you want to um made you want to know more and how that fit into the music. And, and that's exactly what drew me in about Wu-Tang Clan so many years later. I mean, I was into hip hop, but Wu-Tang Clan was like this like crazy, like the posse cut, but to the, to the next level. And like, just trying to figure out who all these people were. And they all had two names at least. And like, just learning, like I spent a lot of time learning which voice was who on 36 Chambers and like trying to understand like why they had those identities and what that meant and how that fit into the larger picture. Um, so I couldn't, I like in the mid to late nineties, I was like obsessed. My wife's actually getting a Wu-Tang tattoo this weekend, actually. Fantastic. So, so Dan, in our early episode, or in our interrupting episode, I was talking about how Lifetime, I'm our all time favorite band in the whole world. And one word I used to describe Lifetime were as safe. And not in, a, not in the terms of like being easy or non-challenging, but in a way that gave me a lot of comfort, no, no matter what the situation was around me. And a massive part of that was the fact, you know, um, the melodies and you know, the, the riffs involved and just the comfort it gave me. And obviously, while Kid Dynamite and Painted Black are more in their, in their approach, there's still an underlying melody you know, about the music that you produce. Um, so I want to find out a bit more about, you know, where your influences came from when it came to you know, producing music. Everything at its core is probably like 60% minor threat. That's like my biggest punk. That's my favorite punk band. And I still think one of the greatest to ever do it. Adjacent to minor threat, I'll say like the first Circle Drift record, early Bad Brains, and stuff like that. That's like the most important. I think later on, Gorilla Biscuits, huge influence. Uh, you know, like there are definitely Kid Dynamite songs that are bordering on derivative. 
but that's okay. You know, like I'm not, that's not a secret. I would never deny like, well, that's, that sounds like a, a Gorilla Biscuits rip off a little bit. Yep. <laughs> that is in fact what it is. <laughs> um, but also, so, but then the other stuff that informs, um, and again, I can only speak for myself. So in Lifetime, there are, you know, other songwriters, uh, Dave and Pete and Ari, the sound of that band is a combination of all of us. Um, guitar wise though, outside of like 80s hardcore, it's definitely like The Cure, The Smiths, and uh, Sonic Youth of a very specific period. When Sonic Youth was moving from like noise and drone into melody, um, there's this sweet spot, the album Sister, I mean the album Evil and the album Sister, are uh, really big guitar influences for me. What came first then? So like what, what af- after Kiss and, and the like and Aerosmith, was it The Cure and The Smiths and that kind of British wave of, of kind of goth post-punk stuff or was it 80s hardcore? Yeah, so I should say Aerosmith is a band I became aware of on the radio, but I, don't, I was never like, I didn't dive into them. Um, after Kiss, it was like Led Zeppelin heavily. Um, and and then moving into some some prog stuff, I'm not ashamed to say. I saw Yes in concert, uh, and I saw Rush in concert, both when I was in middle school. And then you know, uh, in the '80s, uh, New Wave was pop, a lot of informed a lot of pop music. So the Cars were I was really into the Cars a lot. And then there was you know stuff like Split Ends and Duran Duran and stuff like that. And then came punk. I was in a cover band in middle school, so like eighth grade. And then one of the other bands that would play like at our high school, they were the guys that had cool older brothers that were into cool stuff. So like if you had a cool, like when I was, when I was 14, if you had a cool older brother, they were either like really into British punk, they were really into like The Clash or like, minor threat or something like that so this other band of kids when i was 14 they were playing like clash songs and i was like kind of transfixed the clash and they were playing the clash and the jam and i remember like really being in love with the way the bass guitar led uh, a lot of the music and um and so i kind of like started sniffing around that kind of music and that came first you know, I bought the London Calling and the first Clash album. I bought In the City and Ahmad Khan's. And I bought, uh, obviously, Nevermind the Bollocks, which is a phenomenal record. It's a beast of a record. Um, and then I found College Radio, which um, I don't know if there's an analog to that in the UK, but every college, small or large, had their own radio station. And the reach of it, is anywhere from you know a few miles to 20 or 30 40 miles some of the stronger ones and they were all student run and the format was all free form which meant they could just play whatever they wanted so uh when i found the the radio station for rutgers university which is in central new jersey i, w- I was like wow finding out there are bands that were like happening right now that were punk bands was really amazing. So I would come home after school and put a, like one of those 120 minute cassettes in and tape the radio shows 
And then I'd come home and listen and have a pen and a paper and that you'd have to wait, you know, 20 or 30 minutes. And then the DJ would come on and list all the things they'd played. And then I'd write it down. I'd go to the record store and try to find. So that's where um, Kiss Me Deadly by Generation X was one of the first songs. Where I was like, oh, my God. One of the tapes I remember, it had, it had that. It had uh, Sob Story by Minor Threat, Diane by Husker Du. Uh, a live version of Institutionalized by Suicidal Tendencies. They're also playing like Echo and the Bunnymen and Elvis Costello and the Attractions and stuff like that. And so I just, then I would just, there was a record store in my town and they'd order anything that you asked for, uh, even if they didn't have it. Um, That's one thing about American culture, I absolutely is really envious of like, the whole college radio thing they had going on. You always hear about, or see it on like, uh, these uh, soaps, these American soaps with their radio. And, like, but in the UK, the mainstream press was always paying attention to underground music too. So like you couldn't find, there was no NME or anything that would report on stuff like that. And there wasn't yet the sort of like consistent zine network of like zines, maximum rock and roll maybe was just starting. Yeah, so I was always jealous of that. I mean, wait, you mean Susie and the Banshees were in the top 10? Like, really? It's true. When you look back, we had, you know, Sex Pistols famously were on the Grundy show and we had, um, obviously, the Peel sessions. Well, you had the BBC, so that was like... Yeah. The BBC maybe took the place of college radio, at least some certain shows. Um, it was really into Susie and the Banshees. But in the, in the US, you couldn't always get um, the album so like for the longest time the only Susie record I had was the um, Once Upon a Time the singles collection because I couldn't find the Scream or Join Hands anywhere and then the other thing I don't know if you know about this I didn't discover this till later the, re the record companies would sometimes for their idea of what might be successful here they would release different versions of these classic albums so uh, and I didn't know that until streaming because I wasn't, you know, I was going to spend like $40 on an import. There's no point. I remember look, when streaming kind of came and I remember looking at the first Clash album and being like, wait, this isn't right. There's like, um, they released the first Clash album in the U.S. with a, whole, all of, a lot of this early singles on it. And then minus some of the album tracks, like uh, 1977's not on it. There's a bunch of songs on the U.K. version that aren't on the U.S. version than a lot of the singles are. We had a very different, uh, a very different punk history, didn't we? I guess. Yeah, there's a there's a couple songs where they're even now they're like different versions. One of my favorite psychedelic furs song, the version of it that's on streaming is is has a different vocal. Does it upset you? It kind of upsets me. Like you've got this view of of the world based on this music, and then you're like, hold on, goddamn second, what are they doing here? Like messing around with. Yeah, it's kind of like, what, what the hell are these people doing? It's the Generation X record too. So you hear Minor Threat. Yeah. What's the journey for you to kind of get, get into this scene, this music? Are you aware that stuff's happening on your doorstep? How, how desperate are you to kind of find it and become no, part of it? No, I wasn't aware. And I think I found the worst thing is that if I had like had an older brother that was into this, I would have seen Minor Threat. Like Minor Threat was just breaking up around the first time I heard them. That's not the worst feeling. Like, you know, it's just too late. It's just too late. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I barely, I barely touched the surface in, um, but I didn't know that. You didn't have access to that information. So for all I knew, the minor threat, minor threat might have been, for all I knew, like, like Generation X, like they're already done. Um, I had no idea. The, somebody took me to a show in New York City in 1984. It was a Rock Against Racism show. Check out this lineup. 
Cause for Alarm, Reagan Youth, and Roxanne Chante. I mean, Reagan Youth was amazing live. They like, I've like freaked out. I couldn't find that record. Like I didn't find it till much later. And then it wasn't until until a couple of years later, like 1986, when I started going to shows all the time. And what were you seeing at that point? What what was uh, what was on the circuit? Uh, there was two places I was aware of. You know, the problem is I didn't have any friends that were punk. I had friends that would go see like New Order or The Cure with me, but nobody that was like dying to go to CBGBs with me and have people land on their head. Talking about safe, there's nothing safe about going to punk shows at that point. I, I was, anyways, I was frankly quite intimidated a lot of the time. And when when did you start getting involved with actually performing punk and hardcore bands yourself? Then I did a few little things at university, but I couldn't really find people that wanted to. Like I wanted to play fast, hard music, and uh, the people I was meeting to play with were were just moving away from that into stuff that was a little more. Um, little less direct. Uh, so I played with some people there, but didn't really do much. Graduated and moved back to the New York area in New Jersey. Uh, and, you know, New Jersey is um, doesn't really have a big city. So there's New York City. And so the northern part of New Jersey is just a suburb of New York. So I moved back to um, northern New Jersey in 1990. And that's when um, we started Lifetime. Like, What was the conversation? Um, and obviously from your point of view, and I assume others a pretty crazy clashing of influences like was it just luck how that sound kind of came together or did you guys sit down and have a have a talk about what you wanted to to happen in those first few practices then i made a flyer and it listed all the influences that i wanted to pull from who was on the list uh dang nasty verbal assault gorilla biscuits uh minor threat maybe a few others descendants maybe probably not no i wouldn't have put that on the flyer although I really loved the first Descendants album and then, you know, a couple of songs off each of the subsequent ones. I really, really. So, yeah, it was, it was like Dag Nasty, Verbal Assault, Gorilla Biscuits, Minor Threat. So, obviously, um, you played guitar in Lifetime and Kid Dynamite and you went to lead vocals with Painted Black. Did it feel natural to you? Because as someone who played bass and I've always had the protection of like hiding behind something, how did it feel going from that like, guitarist to, you know, all of a sudden, mic in your hand? Like, I like, I prefer hiding behind something. Um, and it was like 10 years on stage before I like had the courage to do, to stand in the front without uh, an instrument hanging from me. It didn't feel natural, like physically, it was really challenging. I felt like I was going to throw up every time I screamed for 20 minutes. And in fact, um, there's a thing that happens between rehearsal and stage with, with screaming for me which is that I have never made it farther than like 15 minutes in practice without losing my voice. But you're pretty intense though. Yeah, but on stage, there's something going on with adrenaline and, and where, where my attention is focused that I, I don't usually lose my voice on stage. So we can play for half an hour pretty relentlessly and I, don't, I can keep it up. But like in practice, we can play like four songs and I'm shot. Like, that's it. Uh, it would do that again. Um, and I, that's still the case. That hasn't gotten better over time. <laughs> Even when we were doing it a lot. Yeah. Uh, now we do it barely and I'm old. So like, it's, it's probably harder now. Um, but yeah, so no, it didn't feel natural at all. I think what felt natural was that I wanted to, um, I wanted to direct the content of the band. Um, that felt natural. 
wanting to write words. That's great. We've jumped crazy far. We just did a massive leap from college to all the way to Painted Black, which is great. Um, I'm just kind of interested. I mean, you've moved significantly kind of towards more harder music um, in terms of the stuff that you play um, from like incredibly kind of emotionally driven hardcore in Lifetime and then like really catchy, fast, hardcore in Kadanamite. Like what you must, you must still occasionally bring out a, a melodic nugget and think, shit, I've got nothing to do with this now. <laughs> like paint it black, can't have this. What, what, what happens to those little golden moments? If they're direct and to the point, they just go in the, in the like, someday Lifetime will do another record pile. Um, and if they're a little more, um, you know, if they're a little less direct or a little le- weirder, they'll go to Open City. And let's just quickly, I mean, a couple of quick questions then, because we've taken up way more of your time than we should have done probably. I'm, fine. I'm, here. I'm, having, I'm having fun. I'm having fun. I mean, this doesn't have to be quick fire. I've just said that, but take as long as you need. Why did it take so long for you in any band to come over to the UK? Well, with Lifetime, it just wasn't it wasn't so easy back then. It was just starting to become more accessible for US bands to get over there. But I mean, big bands, the bands that I thought of as huge have been there. Like I know Verbal Assault did like a four month tour in Europe or something like that. I'm sure that like Dagnasty had been over there. And when we, when Lifetime started trying to figure out how to go to Europe, I think like Youth of Today and Gorilla Biscuits had been in terms of bands that we thought of as hardcore bands, but like we didn't know anybody that had been to Europe yet. Um, when was your first time over in the UK? 95. Oh, oh no, 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 I'm sorry. That was the problem. So we went to Europe in 95, but then at the time, what we were, I don't know if this is even true, but you're at the mercy of the person who's booking it, which was some guy in Prague that we were writing letters to and every once in a while, a phone call. And the way that, like originally we were going for three weeks and then he kept getting more and more offers and ended up being like, we were like, okay, go ahead. You know, people want us to come. And that tour ended up being nine and a half weeks. Wow. With like three days off. And this is before the EU. So there were borders. Uh, But what we were told in 1995 was that like there wasn't really a hardcore scene in England at the time. And that it was hard to get work. It was hard to get working papers and expensive. Like I think there were a couple of people that wanted to do a lifetime show, but they couldn't pay us enough to cover immigration. I don't think there was much of a demand or it didn't seem like it was. So we went to Europe twice in the 90s without anyone really wanting to like being able to spend the money to bring us to England. I've seen it. I've seen it so many times. Like when a lot of American bands come over to the, the mainland Europe and bypass England and the UK all together, and it breaks my heart. As a heart, I think yeah. we might be seeing a bit more of that in the future as well now. But let's not get political about it. Um, <laughs> Dan, was there like talking about frustrations? Like, is there a sense of frustration that particularly the first your first two bands, Lifetime and Dynamite, almost posthumously got? a bit bigger and had this sort of reputation as kind of, I don't want to use the word legendary, but there are, there are sort of people that would consider that those two bands quite legendary bands, but, but almost after the event. Yeah, I mean, that was really frustrating. Lifetime, I think people, people outside of our home regions were just starting to like kind of figure out what, like what we were about and that it was okay to like us. Like hardcore kids, like there was no framework for the kind of music we were making for like hard, like, like Gorilla Biscuits were melodic, but not like poppy. That was the closest people sort of had a reference point for, I think, at the in terms of 
by then. So like, like the punk kids, like the kids that were into like bouncing souls and stuff like that, we were like really fast and sometimes heavy. And that was confusing to them. You know, when people don't know where to categorize something, they have trouble like falling in love with it. That's why I started Kid Dynamite immediately because I felt like, like cut, I felt like someone kicked my feet out from under. Like I was just running. I was just like, I'd been running and we just got like to some place where people were really like, wow, like people really were appreciating what we were doing. And then like somebody tripped me and like it was done. And so, I mean, I started Kid Dynamite like immediately. So a lot of well-established bands, such as like My Chemical Romance and Bounce Souls, well, obviously stated as you being somewhat of an influence for them you know, in their lives. So it's, it's awesome that, you know, you've managed to you know, get straight back onto Kid Dynamite and again, creating music which resonates with a whole generation of you know, new punks. Yeah, it was, it's, I feel really lucky to be still, that anybody still cares about what like music we're making. Yes, but yeah, there was a lot of frustration with Lifetime and Kid Dynamite. They both ended what felt like really prematurely. And I was, uh, at the time, I had a lot of bitterness. I had friends who actually flew over to Philadelphia when you had your reunion to see Kid Dynamite. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, my mate Paul Jackson. I think you actually met him a few times, actually, at yeah. the Painted Black shows. Yeah, when I met him. And then uh, I have two, a couple other good friends that I met through that when they came over. And uh, Simon and Tony, Tony, who does Suspect Device, and his friend Simon, like, they came over when Kid Dynamite did our first reunions. And, they, and they're, like, really good friends now. I've actually got a copy of the suspect device. You're very kind about my band Black Tax, I mean, a bit bizarre, but yeah, nice. Black Tax was fucking awesome. We played with a we played with a lot of really cool bands on that on that UK run. You played with a lot of really bad bands as well, but yeah. I won't I won't mention those. But Black Tax, I agree. I'm definitely on the Black Tax side of things on on this one. Black Tax was a really cool band. Also, a band who a guy who has much love for you was mentioned the other day was Dave House and the Still. Oh fuck. Yeah, this deal. I'm so lucky we got to play with them so much. Yeah, he, he's very grateful for you. So you mentioned about how like he sent a demo, and I think you were the one or few back people who actually were up at the time to reply to him. And um, yeah, he talks about you know, how again you went on tour with him. Yeah, he could he really could have done it without your support. That's nice to hear. Fell in love with that band. Just like everything about them, the spirit of them. They were friends. I thought like you know like they're all just like involved in the scene in different ways. Like, I, just, and their, their record, their two LPs are flawless, perfect records. Do you still get that feeling with bands, new bands a lot of the time? Are you still, you still getting that same feeling you got when you heard Kiss and Minor Threat and all those other bands all those years ago? When I find something that really speaks to me, yeah. What's the last band that um, spoke to you like that? I don't know. I have a bad memory. So, oh, you know, I can I do remember actually, there's a band, uh, a really fast band that has a couple of seven inches out called Reek Minds. First one is just called Reek Minds. It's self-titled. Um, and it's, it's seven songs in nine minutes. It's perfect. That, that's, a, that's a good length. <laughs> fast, fast, hardcore. And then like some parts that feel like, uh, like, like side two of my war or something like that. But it's just, it's relentless and everything about just the way it's arranged and executed is just like, I think I listened to it on repeat like 20 times um, when it first, Randy first gave it to me. Amazing. I'll check it out. There you go. Got a new, new favorite band to, to get into. And do you still listen to a lot of other stuff? I mean, obviously the, the, as I said earlier, the diverse taste that you've mentioned 
have obviously played a big part in your musical upbringing. Is that still the case? Yeah, a lot of a lot of post hardcore, a lot of hip hop. You know who's really who I really uh, got excited about? Who I think is from the UK, the Chisel. You got a couple of uh, EPs, and Jonah from Fucked Up produced their records, I believe. Yao Jaway is another band that I got. I was obsessed. I've been obsessed with. They're from Florida. They have an uh, album out on. They've been around a while. Their most recent album is on Death Wish, so it's really easy to find. But uh, they've got a like a lot of. They're like a definitely like a punk band, but influences from all over the place. Well, that's great. We need we need some new music. I'm I'm terrible. I mean, I'm finding it very difficult to keep up with these things these days. But it's no there's no excuse. It's just laziness. I think I rely on other people that are more obsessive about it. Mm. Well, there you go. I'll take that. And that'll, that'll last me a few years, I think. So that's great. Cool. Uh, I would, I'd love to return the favour, but I don't think I can think of anything new. There's a, f- a couple of good new UK bands doing stuff at the moment. but uh, Right, doses. Definitely not them, but there's some definitely some good... Well, you know you know, just a, a really great uh, like post-punk uh, vibe is... Uh, they're called Adult Life, and I think it's the guitar player from Huggy Bear, if I, if I am correct. Why has that name Huggy Bear come to mind for? Huggy Bear was like one of the British riot girl bands. You're thinking of Starsky and Hutch, Dave, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the he was the informant in Starsky and Hutch, but they were a, one of the British uh, riot girl bands, and they have a split with they have a split record with Bikini Kill. The guitar player from that band is in this band called Adult Life, but it's adult in between the L and the T. There's a K, but you don't pronounce it. But that's like a really cool angular kind of like mutant like it reminds me of wire and mission of burma and stuff like that um and that lp came out last year too so brilliant i feel like we should i mean we we've barely touched on your actual music playing career but um that's that's a well that's a well-worn path well i think i think so and hopefully hopefully people listening will appreciate i think the really interesting stuff at the beginning and, and the, the future facing stuff at the end and a little bit of stuff about you in the middle but um we can do another one later, but you're right. There's other podcasts out there and we're very happy to celebrate those, of course. But if you ever feel that, if you ever find it, you know, like if you think it'd be interesting to do a part two, I'm happy to do that. We get lots of letters of complaints, people telling us that there wasn't enough Kid Dynamite content in there. We'll, um, we'll get back to it, but um, who knows? Maybe we could turn some new new people onto you. But um, Obviously it goes without saying, check out Lifetime, check out Kid Dynamite and certainly check out Painted Black, Open City and... Uh, oh my life. I'm like, thank you, Dave. Absolutely, lo- absolutely love that album as well. Fantastic album. That was a lot of fun. Are you, you going to release anything more? Is that, is that done now? I think it's done. It's kind of just, it was a time and place thing. I mean, we're all friends, but like during that period of time, we all like, we could, pr- we practiced every Sunday and that was really like that, the backbone of like how it worked. Like, as you can tell, our podcast is named after you know, Adam's band. Yeah. Yeah. So if you ever, if you ever speak to him, you know, let, please let him know if he's got some time. We're more than happy to have him. Um, the, the punk band that my kids listen to the most is Adam and his package, actually. That's awesome. <laughs> it's a great band, actually. Most, most requested. Oh, and the, I saw the package yesterday. My friend Mike, who uh, played guitar, was the other guitar player and singer in Armalay. He has the package, and I was over at his house uh, yesterday, and I, I took a, I took a picture of it. I'll, I'll, I'll post it to you through Instagram. Oh, like, please do! Like, oh my god, it's a package! Holy shit! Is, is it in some sort of glass case with like laser beams around? No, it's on the floor on top of a cardboard box. <laughs>
that is the perfect way to end dan honestly that was thank you for sharing all that all that stuff and i hope i hope you enjoyed it and we certainly did i noticed dan you're the second doctor we've had in this show really yeah we had um daryl from the bow weevils on oh yeah you can talk to daryl i don't know him but i know he's a physician i love that record heavyweight i loved a lot so good i love that album i like to be fair i love all, all that stuff in the sevens of just- he's got a really cool voice brilliant band i thought you guys would have played together a few times but um i guess i thought would have too i'm surprised that lifetime uh did never play with them i met the guitar player i was just like i kind of gushed for a little while I was like, Man. but uh the song is called chronic it's the ninth song on heavyweight and it's uh, like one of my favorite like fast pop punk songs. I was talking about the Bull Weevils with Andy the other day and he's like, did every good pop punk band come from Chicago now that I think about it? Probably an exaggeration, but Chicago is fertile. Naked Ray Gun is from Chicago. That's, we didn't talk about that. Well, that's one of my favorite bands of all time. Getting Jeff, well, getting Jeff to sing on that Paint of Black record was like the highlight of my life musically. Like I could not believe that because I, you know, obviously I can't sing, so I can't believe that I wrote a part that was good enough for him to sing, and that he, and that it sounded exactly when it was all done. It sounded exactly like I imagined, like I fantasized. So, Dave, uh, that's Dan Yemen from your favorite ever band. Did it live up to expectations? All that and more, mate. All that and more. He's such a lovely guy. I've met him a few times. Uh, in person, we've actually, you know, me and you have we've been bands where we've actually, you know, played with him live, uh, painting black, uh, respectively. And it's always been such a pleasure to speak to, um, very complimentary. And it was nice knowing more about him, not just that, you know, his influence with the music, but just about him as a person and, and how, how he goes through life. And I, I adore the man. What can I say? It was a great chat. I am, um, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed listening to some of the early stories and the fact that he champions new bands um, as much as I think he, he ever did, which, um, you know, to my regret, I probably don't do enough of at the moment, but he's um, recommended a few and that's, that's great. And Dave, for our 10th episode, I think you're giving the people something quite special. Yeah. So, you know, we've met some many great people and we've learned about so many other new bands, uh, old bands, uh, bands, uh, bands we've loved. So what we're going to do, we're going to compile a playlist on Spotify of all our guests, bands and also some of the bands that they you know recommended because we love music and that's what brought us together it is yes so if you're not going to listen to any more episodes of this you might as well listen to that but um thanks for joining us today dave do the sort of thing where you tell people about the other things that we are on and, and stuff yeah like so that. if you want to get in touch with us with suggestions on how to improve our podcast maybe you want to uh, suggest a guest for us to join to join us you can email us at prepodcast at gmail.com you can go to our Twitter at PRE Podcast, or you can go to our Instagram account at Punk Rock Academy Podcast. John, happy 10th anniversary, mate. It's, it's not an anniversary day, it's just an accident. Hey, this is this is Dan from Lifetime, Kid Dynamite, Painted Black, Open City, and Armalite. And you have been listening to the Punk Rock Academy podcast. Thanks for listening.